I really, truly enjoy that. That's fun. Um, well, good morning. I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here today. We've got a, uh, uh, a, fun, um, a fun and exciting day uh, today. First, the kids are in service. So uh, Leslie put that sign up on that front door, and it's kind of just, if you haven't looked at that, if you're a parent, um, it's really, it's, it's why do we do this? Why do we have the kids in service, right? And, and there's more to it than just, um, it's not just a convenience thing, because frankly, we know that as parents, sometimes it can be the opposite of convenient. It can be inconvenient. Um, but let me, let me ask you guys to think about it from a perspective of these, these little mini us's <laughs> are watching and experiencing the worship of God in, in an adult way. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. It may not, they, they may not be uh, fully equipped to sit still perfectly and all of those things, and that's fine. Um, but this is one place where we feel like we can help as a community, help train up your children and, and be together as a family. And it's okay if they speak out. And it's okay, I mean, you, you guys know what I'm saying, right? Marginally, a little bit, right? It, it, but it's okay. Like, it's not bothersome. And frankly, like, I'll have people tell me afterwards, like, man, my kid was so loud. I'm like, I didn't even hear it. So, um, I obviously talk uh, louder than uh, what your kids are, so don't worry about it. And if you don't have kids and you're sitting next to somebody that does have kids, um, just smile and and help. I mean, seriously though, right? Like you you've either yeah. So anyway, there's there's community in this. So um, awesome. All right. Well, we are going to be picking up um, in John chapter six. We have a lot of verses to get through today. Okay. But I, but I think, which is perfectly lined up for Family Sunday, um, but, I, but I think we'll be able to get through them uh, fairly expeditiously. But um, before we jump in, let me, uh, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time, and we pray that this is for you. This isn't for any one of us. This isn't for us to fill some sort of temporary need, but that that we come before you to worship you, to pour over your word, to reflect on your words and who you are, and to be filled up spiritually. God, we pray that that would happen this morning, that this would just be one part of a life that abides in you and that trusts in you. And so we thank you for giving us the opportunity to do this together. We pray that it would all be for your glory. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, we're in John chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 22. But before we get there, um, this last week you read arguably the most public of Jesus' uh, uh, miracles. He fed 5,000 men, which presumably there, was, there were men and women there. And so then you have all these scholars that go, well, it was more than 5,000, which I think is just a humorous uh, debate because you're like, as if 10,000 is more impressive than 5,000. Um, let's just let's just chalk it up to he did it with no food really and uh, fed all of these people. Here's the point. That's a very public miracle. Not only was it public, not only did people see the miracle happen, they ate the miracle. <laughs> it was it was a very like they tangibly grabbed a piece of the miracle and shoved it into their mouth, right? And they ate it. And it says that they were filled. So they ate it, and they're like, no, oh, too much, too much. 
cooked fish and bread, right? <laughs> sounds, sounds super appealing. Uh, but for them, that, that's what they had, right? And that's impressive because they would have, each one of them probably would have looked at, the, at what that boy had and would have said, well, that's not really even going to feed my family. That's not going to be enough. And then they all walked away going, I'm stuck. And so this is where we, uh, we kind of pick up this morning, because what ends up happening is Jesus, uh, and there, by the way, this is the only miracle that's accounted for in all four Gospels, um, and actually Jesus dismisses the crowd, uh, they want to make him a king, and so he kind of slips away, dismisses them, and he sends the disciples across the sea, and he goes, hey, I want you guys to go across the Sea of Galilee, I'll catch up with you which I just, we don't know what that conversation looked like. We don't know what the, how the disciples' response was. But they did get in the boat, and they left Jesus on the shore and, and left the crowds, okay? So this is evening time. They had just eaten dinner. So that is where we're picking up this morning, and we're going to be picking up in verse 22. Like I said, the, um, we'll be reading a few verses. Uh, all the slides will be, uh, sorry, all the verses will be on the, the verses will be on that thing. And that one, all right. Um, It says, on the next day, so they stayed the night, okay? On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So this is the, con- this is, this sets the stage, right? So these people, and there's a lot of discussion about where these boats came from. They presumably paid their way onto these boats. They were seeking Jesus. They were seeking him, they get to him, they find him, they're like, when did you get here? Why? Why were they pursuing Jesus? It seems as though they're followers of Christ. It seems like they're followers. They are are pursuing him wherever their families were, whatever their jobs were, were apparently put on hold, and they are traveling across the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to find Jesus. Like, that is their... That is their purpose. And so you look at that and you go, man, that's great. That's a good purpose. And Jesus is going to roll in and go, I know what your heart's purpose is. Look what he says in verse 26. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So what Jesus says is, that's great that you're looking for me, but I know, and we've already read this already, Jesus knows what's in the hearts of humanity, right? He knows what they actually feel, and he goes, you're not following me. For the right reason. But, so here we are. 
extrapolating this, let's apply this to us. Jesus says, you're not following me for the right reason. So you could follow Jesus for the wrong reason. And this is why, this is their reason. Because he provided them with bread. Sounds very carnal, very fleshly, very very trivial. But we're going to see as as they kind of have this back and forth between it'll it'll be Jesus and the crowd, and then all of a sudden the Jews will start to, the the religious leaders will start to jump into the conversation, and we're going to see this thing extrapolate out as how they understood this, because it wasn't so much the fact that Jesus gave them a one-time feeding the night prior. In fact, this is why they wanted him to become king. And it even says that they tried to make him king by force. Who doesn't want a king that provides us with our meals? Wouldn't that be awesome? No more work, right? And so this is their thinking. They're thinking, this is great. (laughs) We have this person that can create food and fill our stomachs. I, I would absolutely love to follow that person. You see, there's, there's a desire in their hearts to fill a temporal, fleshly need. And this is the trap we fall into. That we start to pursue Jesus for what his hand gives us instead of pursuing the hand itself. You see... We, we, we go back and forth. It's almost as if we talk out of both sides of our mouths at time, right? Because we talk about, like, like we want to follow Christ. Why? Because he gives us joy, peace, and contentment. And somehow, in our minds, we think of contentment as exactly what Warner just talked about. A full stomach, clothes on our back, everything awesome and great. That's what, they, that's, what they, um, that's what they see that as. And so they, they understand this to be a part, to be a part of what they're pursuing. Let me pray for us. God, would you... Would you help make this real for us? I pray that for each one of us here this morning. That we wouldn't just relegate you to food service. That we wouldn't uh, make you into something that you're not. God, you want so much for us. Help us to see that. Help us to trust in that. Help us to trust you with every need in our lives. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. So you see, that's the danger. 
That's the danger, right? That we that we see Christ as simply providing for us the things that we need, the daily things that we need, and we lose sight. We forget about the significant things that we really need, the eternal things, eternal life, right? Instead of focusing on heaven, instead of focusing on eternity, we are stuck looking at the things directly in front of our face. We're stuck looking at the food, and what's coming in. And and we could go to a litany of verses where Jesus talks very clearly about what it is for us to be provided for by God. He says, "Look look at the flowers in the field, right? Look at the birds. Like, God cares about all these things. And yet, here we are, we doubt and we wonder and we work for and we spend our entire lives consumed with filling our stomachs. And so this is where he's talking to the, uh, the crowds. So this is, so this is tough for us. Um, Because it's easy for us to come to church thinking that this will fix our marriage, that this will fix our parenting, that this will give us a job and more income, or that this will give us friends. All of those things, they aren't bad things. They're just not the full things. They're not the things that last. And so when, when people come in and they're like, yes, I want this, you go, no, Jesus has so much more for us. He has joy and peace and contentment. He has all of these things in store for us. And so we wonder, and we think, and we try to figure out how do we get to these things, but we're so consumed with the things that are in front of us that we miss it. When I was a kid in San Diego, we used to, uh, my bro and I would body surf uh, the waves out there, and and I remember, like, frankly, that song that we sang, I, I love the song, I'm not trying to be critical, but the no turning back thing, for me... Sounds like I'm trying to convince myself not to turn back. That's what it, when I sing that, I go, I'm not trying to convince myself not to turn back. But it, it, it has this air of like, if I say it enough, I won't. Um, that's how I hear it. <laughs> that's just me. Um, but I liken it to like, so the, the waves would be fairly big at times. And, and I was a rather uh, small young man. And... And we would swim it, and you started to learn, like, everything in me wanted to turn back. When a big wave would, a swell would be coming, and it's like, I'm going to get destroyed. And so we would turn around, and we would start to swim towards shore. And if, and if anybody knows anything about the wet, right? And then you just get completely obliterated on your way back into shore. And then you turn around, and you try to do it again. And then, same thing, you, 
like, I remember, like, getting, like, losing my breath and getting, I don't even know, um, whatever that is. Like, you know, like, I, I, I couldn't even breathe. And then, you know, it was cold and it was San Diego water. And, and then, like, I'd run away again. And, and it was this cycle. And it wasn't until I figured out that, like, no, like, charge the wave. Like, go towards it, because it, then it's this, right? If, and not this, right? If that all made sense and with my hand motions. And so, so, and this is what God's saying. He's like, on the other side of this thing, just keep pursuing. Don't turn back. Don't, don't be satisfied with the shore. The shore is worthless. It's going to give you some food for a little bit, but it's not going to last. It's not going to endure. And so go, because on the other side of this, you're going to be able to sit on your board, you're going to be able to tread water, you're going to be past the surf line, and everything's going to be peaceful and quiet and amazing. And this is what Jesus is promising us, peace and joy and contentment. But he goes, don't turn around, don't go back to these, don't, don't be working for these menial things, work for things that are enduring, that are peaceful and joyful and will provide true contentment. Appreciate your patience. Sorry, I'm a little, <clears throat> little distracted this morning. Um, John four thirty one. Here's Jesus living out exactly this. We read about this. Gene preached on it. The woman at the well. It says that. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, "Rabbi, eat." He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus was hungry. It says that he went to the well. He stopped. He was tired. We talked about this last week. Jesus can relate to us. It's not as if he didn't have hunger. He did. He was hungry. But he goes, there is something so much more important than food. And I, I, I wasn't planning on talking to this, but... Fasting is, is an opportunity for us to kind of tell this, remind us of this. There is something that is more important than food. There is. I know we, I know we go to that. We, we eat it all the time. I eat it all the time. And Jesus says, I have actual food. And my food is what? What does he say? To do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That should satisfy us in a way that bread never can. And so I, I got to ask you guys, like, have you experienced that in your life, doing the will of God, doing his work, and going, that is soul-satisfying nourishment? Because it exists. It truly exists. To the point where you can go, I don't need food right now, I'm being nourished in my soul at a level that food will never satisfy. That's, that's what's happening here. And so Jesus says, this is exactly what I'm talking about. 
I have so much more for you. And so then he talks about that, it, that um, how you ought to work for it. So in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 28, it says, they, they, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in whom he has sent. He says, that's it. What do you need to do to do this work? To do the things that are soul-satisfying and nourishing and of eternal value? Believe in Jesus. That's it. That's all we have to do. We just believe in Jesus because what he's going to say is that he is the bread of life, that he is actually the sustenance that actually keeps us going at a very real and tangible level. Look at what it says in verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Now here's the crowd, right? And so they go, how, how can you tell us that this is true? He says, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So what they do is they compare this, and this is going back to the Exodus, right? And they go, you gave us bread last night. That was pretty cool. That was, that was awesome. We really appreciated it. Filled our stomachs. It was good tasting bread. But Moses gave us bread every morning. Every morning we woke up during the Exodus, or our forefathers, right? They woke up, and there was bread. So, if you are who you say you are, we, we want to see more. We need more of a sign. We want to see, if, if you're really better than Moses, then you should be able to give us bread every single day. And so what do they say? And this, that last word, if you have a Bible there, underline that always word. They go, give us this bread evermore continually that's what they're saying give us this bread always don't just can we just not make this the one miracle of jesus feeding the five thousand can you can it be like can we write this where like jesus feeds the five thousand every day for the rest of their lives so that's what they're that's what they're pitting jesus up against is this manna in the desert listen to how jesus explains these next few verses and, and i want you to capture this because what jesus is about to say should be so much confidence for us as followers of Christ. Listen to what he says. Jesus said to them in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Okay, I just want to pause here for a second. You're going to hunger. You're going to thirst. So is Jesus lying to us here? No, not at all. He's gonna, he, this, is, this is the same hyperbole he says when he talks about hating your father and your mother, right? He's saying, like, you're, it's not going to matter. You're going to hunger and you're thirst, and you're going to thirst, but it's not going to matter at all. Because you're going to be doing the will of God. You're going to be doing the work that God sent you to do. And frankly, you guys, we live in a time when it doesn't really cost us anything to be believers. Frankly. Maybe, maybe I don't know all of your stories, but in general... Right? Maybe into your internal family dynamic, maybe there's been some costs. 
But we're all here, not afraid of the government, not afraid of being mowed down, not afraid of any of these horrible things that happen in other places. So God doesn't sit here and say, uh, he's not saying, hey, heads up. Heads up, you, you know, you, you're going to need to really make sure that you're not hungry or thirsty. Instead, what he says is, you will never hunger. You will never thirst. And then he says in verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. If you have your Bible, underline that. I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, right? We read about this last week. But the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. That's us. Right? Those that come to Jesus... God's plan is that Jesus will not lose them. And then what does he say? But raise it up on the last day. That's eternal life. He's like, this is what the plan is. This is what the will of God is. This is the will of the Father. And this is my will. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. This is why we say that Jesus is the bread of life. That's why we say he's true food, and he's going to go on. He's going to continue to extrapolate off of this. So it's not just some little fun metaphor he's using. He's saying, really, truly, if you believe and trust in me, I will raise you up. I will never cast you out. This is a promise, you guys. This is good news. This is beautiful news. Absolutely beautiful. And then look what he says in verse 41. Or so so the Jews start to grumble, right? So now you've got the, the Jewish, the religious leaders kind of jumping in now, right? And it says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. And so they doubt. They question Jesus. And he gives them an answer. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. That's now the third time that he said that. Raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. We read this similarly back in John chapter 5. You remember I read this last week. We were talking about doubt and why do you struggle trusting in God? Why do you struggle with your doubts? And in uh, John chapter 5, verse 37, it says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. See, Jesus is saying the same thing. He's like, do you understand? This is like a moth to a flame. Like, if you knew God, you would come to him. If you knew him, if you abided in his word, you would come to him. And if you come to him, what happens? You're going to be raised up on the last day. You will never be cast out. 
right? He uses elsewhere the, the verbiage of like adopted children of God. This is a one-way door. This is a one-way door. You walk in to the presence of Christ, and he goes, I will never cast you out. You guys, like this is beautiful. And this is the eternity that he's promising us. He's saying like, this isn't temporary. I'm not giving you a little bit of food for your stomach that you're going to be hungry 12 hours later. This is permanent, eternal food. This is a beautiful, incredible thing. Going back to John 6, 46. He says, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. This is, I, I read something like a while ago or I heard it, I don't know, but, and I said this to my family and they, they were not as impressed. Um, it was very, it was very intriguing to me. They, they responded with, yeah, dad. Um, I think it was I think it was my daughter's. I don't know. Everything, nearly everything we eat has given its life for us. You guys thought about this? Like even like plants, right? Like you, you pull plants out of the ground, they die. They provide us like an extension of our life. So like here's this whole world, right? And we don't need to get into the vegan, vegetarian, any of that stuff, right? But in general, whatever you're eating. Even grain, right? Like you take these things and you, they die. You harvest them. You grow them. Whatever. You eat them. And you move along the timeline of life. <laughs> and then you do it again. And you shove it in your mouth. And you move along the timeline of life. And this is our life. This is existence. So what he says is, I am the bread of life. He, and um, I am living, sorry, have I gone to, sorry, go to verse 51. In verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. You guys get this. So he's living. Like, he's not like everything else that's died that you consume, Jesus goes, I'm living bread. Like, you eat me, you'll have eternal life. It's not just one step down the timeline of life. It's eternity. If you consume me, and, and then he says at the very end, now this isn't like cannibalism, right? He's not saying like you're actually going to eat his flesh. What does he say? And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the sacrifice for the entire world. That's the consumption. So you guys get the play on words that he's using here, but what he's saying is like, my flesh, what I'm going to provide is eternal. It's not temporary sustenance. It's eternal sustenance. Obviously, you guys weren't as wowed by that as my, uh, my family either, so I'm just, <laughs> just checking. Um, <laughs> I, thought was, I thought it was super cool, because I'm like, I've never even thought about that. Like, everything we eat is dead, but anyway, okay. Moving on. Verse 52. <laughs> Verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So they, they're like, this is weird, right? 
So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Okay, so again, he's using the same, he's like, I, I, me, Jesus, the Savior, like, I am living and you must consume me, you must abide in me like this. Remember, he's contrasting this with just a little bit of bread that filled their stomachs. He's like, no, 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 like that's nothing. He says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's the fourth time he said that. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. That got a little weird. Honestly, we read this, but if, if we're not reading this in context, it is weird. And, and in fact, Christians were accused of this, cannibalism. Like they were, there was, there was uh, accusations like this is a, a weird cult that's going on. And oh, by the way, this, Jesus is going to point back to this at the Lord's Supper, at the Last Supper, where he institute, institutes the Lord's Supper, right? This is why we go and we eat bread and we drink juice and we're reflecting that, that those little morsels are more important than a whole feast could provide. That's what we're saying. That's what we're saying when we do that. We're saying my, my spiritual health, my spiritual food is so much more important. So what Jesus is saying is like, feed on me. This is true food. This is true drink. If we would just see that, I mean, this is exactly what Warner was talking about, right? If we would just see that, no kidding, what Jesus provides us is a sustenance that this world does not even have the capacity to provide. There's no eternal life given from this world. It is exclusively from God himself. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. This is Jesus after his baptism, and he's being tempted in the desert. He says, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Seems like an understatement. So here's Jesus, hungry, 40 days, 40 nights. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Friends, this is, this is it. This is, this, God's word Abiding in Christ, it is true food. It does provide us with eternal life. And yet, what do we do in our lives? We're just on the hamster wheel, just running around, working to get some food, to shove it in our stomachs, to get some food, to shove it in our stomachs, right? Like, this is all we're doing. And we're so distracted by this, we're so consumed by this. And Jesus is going, no, no, do you understand that, that this actually provides you with better food, more sustaining food, and better life, and more sustaining life than the world ever could? 
Jesus. And so feed on me. Abide in me. Dare I say, consume this before you consume coffee in the morning? Can I say that? And could, I, could, I, could we even say that sacrificing a little sleep for this is worth it? Do you really need that much sleep? I, I know what the studies have said as far as the amount of sleep you're supposed to get. But you blow it off for plenty of other things. All right? <laughs> we all do. I will stay up late. I will wake up early to go to do great things that I really want to do, fleshly things, but do I, would, I, would I be willing to do that for this? To know God. To know God in a way where I see him as this flame and I'm drawn to him. That's his promise to us. It says in verse 59, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, <laughs> right? And they're honest. They're like, who can listen to him? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? All right, here we go. You guys ready for this fork in the road that Jesus lays out? Does this offend you? Is this too hard? Is it like, ugh. Verse 62. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? This is what Jesus says to the disciples. He's like, oh, you don't, you don't like that. You don't like what I just said. What if you just saw me right now ascend back up into heaven? then would you believe me? <laughs> I mean, that's really what he's saying. He's like, you're sitting here and you're like, yeah. I mean, I'll read the Bible every once in a while. I'll, I'll spend time with God every once in a while. But true food, true drink, come on. Does this offend you? Does this offend your priorities in life? Verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help. At all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians. 118. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is, this is why he says, This is why he says, It is the Spirit who gives life. It's the Spirit, it's not the flesh. It, I, I, get it. It doesn't make logical sense. When Jesus says that man doesn't live on bread alone, all of us go to our biology class and we go, uh, yeah, actually we do. 
We do need food. So what Jesus is presenting here is two things. What do you want? What do you want in life? Do you want comfort and luxury and food and clothes and shelter? Do you want all these things? Or are you willing to forego these things and have eternal life? That's it, you guys. This is, this is what he presents. There's no, I, I don't, there's, there's nothing in between here. And so we have to really wrap our minds around this. We have to really look at our motivations in our lives and go, what am I working for? Am I working for food that perishes? Or am I constantly looking at the world through the Spirit, through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, through, through God's eyes, trying to do His will, not because it earns me a spot. He's already said He's not going to cast me out. This isn't, this isn't a matter of us like trying to appease God or earn our way into heaven. We have that secured. He said over and over, He's going to raise us up to eternal life. Four times He said that. That's not in question. What he's saying is, are you doing the will of the Father? Are you building his kingdom or are you building your kingdom? Because if you're building his kingdom, you're going to find joy and peace and contentment and a spiritual feeding and nourishment and sustenance that the world simply cannot provide. But in order to get there, you've got to swim through the wave. Stop going back to these easy, crippled, powerless things in the world. He's like, I have so much more for you. So much more. Verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back. And no longer walked with him. This is the fork in the road. This is, this is an option. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's the other half. That's it. Where are we, where are we finding our sustenance? Where do you find your contentment? Where do you find your nourishment in the morning when you go to bed? Jesus promises us that he will raise us up, that he will never cast us out. We are adopted children. What, what more beautiful picture could there possibly be than the God of the universe choosing us and rescuing us? Verse 70 Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Quite the ominous ending, but I had to read it <laughs> because we're going through this. This is just a, a lead-in to, obviously, the, the rest of this gospel that John's going to be uh, walking us through. But remember, what, what is John's purpose in writing this whole thing? So that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's why John is writing these things. The feeding of the 5,000 was not just some random miracle that Jesus just did on some shore somewhere just for that. 
It was for this. It was for this teaching. It was so that Jesus could then go, you like that food? Let me give you good food. Let me give you real food. And then he unpacks this thing in a way that we would never make up. And frankly, it's really hard. And so the challenge for us is what then do we do with this? What do we do? I don't know. I don't know what it looks like for each one of us. But it is very clear that our motivations in life ought to be about doing the will of God, building his kingdom. And what does that look like? I've, I've had this conversation recently with um, a friend of mine. Um, he's like, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like he, he had kind of made a commitment to something a, a while back, and now he's, he's, he's presented with this option. And he's like, I don't know if I still want to do that. And I don't know if that's really what God wants me to do now. And, and I don't know. Well, are you going to be able to accomplish God's will in this way or this way or this way? That should characterize our decisions. Am I going to be able to communicate the gospel in my life? For, for the youth in here, when you grow up and you become all the amazing things that you said that you wanted to be, will you, like, is it, is it because of that? I know those things are fun, and that's great. To have employment that you enjoy doing is obviously a blessing. But... But more than that, it's not just there to feed your ego or to feed your, your affections and enjoy the things. It's will you be able to communicate the gospel? Will you have opportunities and relationships with people in and amongst where you're living and operating to shine the light of Christ into their lives? And when you do that, it will be food. <laughs> it will be true food. It will be so nourishing that you're going to go, I don't care about anything else. I want to keep doing this. I want to share the gospel. I want to proclaim Christ. I want to see lives transformed right in front of me. I want to see hearts changed. I want to see marriages restored. And when I see these things, I'm not hungry anymore. Because I will work for that forever and ever and ever. And that's what Jesus promises us. And that's a life of peace and joy and contentment that this world simply does not. Let me pray.